the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, today we see Christ fleeing from Herod. He's born in Bethlehem, and then he's told um, uh, by um, the revelation of God to flee. And uh, Joseph uh, hears this message from, uh, from the angel in a dream, and he takes the child and he goes to Egypt, and after a while he goes from Egypt and then he travels on his way to Israel and then he's kind of redirected on his way to Israel and he settles down in Nazareth and that's where he grows up. Now, if you think of the Holy Family as, as a family that, you know, the, the mother is Joseph the carpenter, a saint, and the Theotokos herself, St. Mary, with the child who is the incarnate Logos, right? This isn't just an ordinary family, but they're running away from evil. They're running away from some trouble that's coming their way. So, does this make sense for us to run away every time we have some trouble that's kind of stirring up in our area? Now, of course... God doesn't always want us to run away. God wants us to fight. He wants us to stand firm in, in our ground and not to just flee any trouble or any problem or any conflict that's challenging us. Otherwise, we'll just live our lives as cowards. If every time we have a little bit of trouble, we run, we live our lives as cowards. As a matter of fact, in the Scriptures, we see... In James 5.7 he says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This word resist, in Greek, it's antistete, which literally means stand firm, hold your ground, like don't budge, don't turn, don't move. Resist. So that word means don't run away, don't flee. So when we think of resisting any trouble, any temptations, any work that the demons have against us, we always ought to resist, right? But in some cases, this resistance has to come with a little bit more wisdom, right? And in some cases, we are called to run away, we are called to flee, like we see in this example of the Holy Family. Perfect example is just whenever you come across someone who's sick, right? And right now, it's like the flu season, everybody's getting sick. But what would you say to somebody who just comes across a friend and they find out from their friend that they're sick and then they just, you know, oh, that's okay, I want to get sick too, come give me a hug. <laughs> like, as soon as I find out that somebody's sick, I'm like, stay away from me, you can say hi from like 10 feet away, because I don't want to get sick too. I want to stay away from anything that's going to harm me, anything that's going to get me sick. And that's how we always function. Anytime something can harm us, we try to stay away from it. And we do that just because we're concerned about our physical health, right? Now, when it comes to our souls, how much more should we be concerned about the things that can harm us? Just like whenever you see somebody coughing and sneezing and they're with a... 
a certain cold or fever or whatever type of flu that they have, you stay away from them. We're also called to stay away from any of us that can anything that can give us any sort of spiritual sickness. So the first person that comes to mind that really teaches us to flee is Saint Arsenius. So Saint Arsenius was a rich man, he was an educated man. He actually um, lived in Rome. He was an educated Roman. And he stayed in the court of Emperor Theodosius as a tutor to the princes Arcadius and Honorius. Alright, so he was a very wealthy, educated man. Right? He had a lot. He, he, he was wealthy. But he wanted to care more about his salvation than his possessions. So he prayed a very simple prayer. Okay? While he was still living in the palace, Ab Arsenius prayed to God in these words, Lord, lead me in the way of salvation. And he heard a voice come saying to him, Arsenius, flee from the world and you will be saved. Flee from the world and you will be saved. These are the words that he heard and he applied them literally. He packed up his bags and he left all his riches, all his wealth, everything, even this education that he worked hard to earn. He left it. And he went to the desert. Now, if we bring our attention even further back and look at the first few days of Adam and Eve's life, we see that they kind of come across a, a similar situation where they're approached by a temptation, right? Where the serpent comes and he talks to Eve and he says a very simple question. He asks her, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Okay, this is the first verse in chapter 3 of Genesis. Did God really say that you can't eat from the tree in the garden? Now, this is a very fair question, right? It's a fair question. He's not telling her, hey, you should disobey God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? That's not how he approached her. He asked her, he asked her a fair question, a very simple question. It's almost an innocent question. Did God really say that? Like, I just want some clarification. Tell me, did He really say that? And of course, because Eve didn't run away from this deceptive serpent, she got engaged in the conversation. And that's what the devil always wants from us, is to just engage us. See, the devil will never really come and tell you, hey, don't go to church. He'll come and tell you what? Do you really have to be there at 8? Do you really have to get up from the first moment you hear your alarm clock? Can't you just snooze a couple of times? Do you really have to be strict in your Bible readings? Do you really have to be strict in your prayers? Do you really have to dedicate this much time to the service? I, I just want to know. Like, you know, explain to me. You know, the devil just comes... 
quote-unquote innocently, just asking fair questions. Did God really say that you can't eat from the tree in the garden? So, of course, Eve thinks it's a very simple question, an innocent question, and what does she do? She engages this question and she says, well, he said we can eat from any of the trees except for that. And then, now that he's got her attention, now he can just trip her up. Now that he's got her attention, he can deceive her. Right? And that's why we must flee from the start. We must flee because as soon as we're engaged, we know that we're left at the mercy of the demon's evil powers. And it's, unless it's for God's grace and compassion that He comes and aids us, we are powerless against the demons. All our strength, all our power is in God protecting us. We have no strength and no power in and of ourselves. So what we say is we got to always run. We got to always flee from the devil and run and hold on to Christ. The scriptures make it very clear that we must flee from sin and temptations. Nowhere in the scriptures do we see any advice where God says, go and confront Satan, engage in the battle, and test your limits, test your strength, and see if you can win this battle by fighting Satan head on. Everything in the scripture tells us to run from sin and to run from temptations. If you bring your attention back to Sodom and Gomorrah and how that place was full of corruption, the righteous Law and his family were in that place. They were living there and this was a righteous man. God didn't tell him, Law, since you're a righteous man, I want you to preach and convert Sodom and Gomorrah and stay there and fight this fight. Make sure that you continue to stay strong in your faith while... You battle these demons every day. What he told him was, you got to get out of there. You got to run. Take your family and leave. In Genesis 19, 17, here's the words, escape for your life. Do not look back, nor stay anywhere in that plane. Do not look back. So, not only should you run, but you should run without even taking a glimpse back at what you left behind. So there's a huge difference between us forgetting about something, you know, to some extent where we still think about it, and actually forgetting about it where we don't think about it at all. And that's what God wants from us is that we leave sin without even keeping our mind fixed on it. There was a, um, there was a monk that, that um, came across a lady that asked, the lady was, was just struggling to walk because like, her, she was injured or something. And she asked the monk if he could carry her across the road so that she can get to her destination. So, of course, this is a lady and the monk is a little embarrassed, but he wanted to serve her, so he, he carried her across to the other side of the road. Two other monks saw what this monk was doing that he's carrying, 
a lady on his shoulder, and of course it's something shameful for a monk to be holding a lady in his arms, walking across the road. So he sat her down, and then he kept walking along, and then these two other monks that were walking alongside the first monk that carried the lady, kept talking about what he was doing. And they were just still shocked that he did that. So the, the monk that carried this lady turned to the other two monks and said, You see, I carried her across the road, but I left her there. You two are still carrying her on your minds. You see, a lot of times we want to leave something, but still hold on to it. A lot of times we want to just forget about our social media or Netflix, or we want to forget about those bad pictures we're looking at or whatever, but still our minds are fixed on it. Christ has made this very clear in the end of Luke 9. He says, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Not only should we leave everything that's distracting us, whatever it may be, whether it's video games or shopping or anything that takes away our time from God, we got to forget about it completely. When we were at the convent, we were sitting with a couple of the nuns, and I remember one word of advice that stuck with me until today. One of the nuns said, we're not holier than David, we're not stronger than Samson, and we're not wiser than Solomon. So why do we continue to walk thinking that we can face these battles and overcome them with more ease than these men? Right? We got to remember, if Samson, the strongest, fell, if David, the anointed one of God, fell, if Solomon, the wisest one, fell, then who am I to think that I can still play with fire and still keep myself up on my two feet? Remember this man, Joseph. Okay? So he has a special place in my heart. right? Not because the scripture tells us he was a handsome man. That's not why. But because Joseph, as brave as he was, as righteous as he was, he ran away from temptation. If any young man sees a cute girl come and tie him down, and force him to give her time and attention, and force him to please her, almost anybody will come and say, well, it's out of my hands, I just, I gotta go with it. Joseph was forced to satisfy his master's wife. But despite her forcing him, and even though he knew she could pin this crime against him, he ran away. She held on to his robe. She was, was physically holding on to him, but he still pulled away, knowing that it could cost him his life. And he ended up in jail for it. So running away hurts sometimes. Running away hurts. You know, when you got to leave something that's been satisfying you for a long time, if it's been distracting you, taking away your time, or whatever... It hurts. And there are some very tough consequences. Maybe you're 
constantly cutting corners or compromising in your schoolwork or in your work and you're not really being honest and you know if you stop cutting corners it's gonna hurt, you're gonna take a hit in how much time you have left to study or to work or whatever and those consequences are hard to bear. But those are the consequences that an honest man has to bear like Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man he knew that if he was honest, if he didn't cut corners, if he didn't cheat, even though if he ends up in jail, God would never leave him. And this is why he was successful. Because of his honesty, and he ran away from the fire. Speaking of fires, remember a few months ago, there were fires breaking out all over the place. Right? Fires uh, right at our front doors. Like my own front yard was on fire. (laughs) So, during that time, what was the news telling us? What were the fire department, the firefighters and policemen telling us? Just hang tight, fight through it, grab a garden hose, and put the fire... No! Run for your life. Like, if, if they saw anybody still near their houses they would bang on their door and evacuate them. And I wonder if we care more about our possessions and our homes than our own souls. Do we care more about preserving our houses than our salvation? We run away from a fire that jeopardizes or threatens our homes, but do we run away from the distractions that jeopardize our salvation? St. John Climacus says, Run from the places of sin as from the plague. For when fruit is not present, we have no frequent desire to eat it. So, this is the product of avoiding sins and distractions that we become less inclined to desire them as a whole because when something is out of sight, it's out of mind. Right? And, and I'm sure some of us have tasted this, where you fast, and you fast, you give something up, and by the end of the fast, you really don't care so much to eat meat anymore. That's when you know you've fasted the right way. Maybe you've cut yourself off from TV because it's wasting your time. At the end of the fast, you realize... I kind of like living without TV, all that noise, it was just... And then you, after the fast is over, well, I'll just watch a couple more shows or whatever, then you get sucked back right into it. But then you look back and you wonder, it was kind of nice. I didn't even care about watching TV or whatever. I didn't care about this sin because whenever I avoided it, when I separated myself from it, after some time, I didn't even desire it. And that's, that's where we got to reach. Now, we must not only flee from sins, not just from something that's blatantly wicked or corruptive, but we got to flee from the distractions, things like gossip. Whenever we hear any sort of talk about somebody, 
We got to just turn our ears away from that. We got to flee from bad music, which nowadays it's nearly impossible. I was just at the clergy meeting a couple of days ago and we went to Starbucks after the clergy meeting with, with the bishop and four other priests. And we're sitting down and just the music that we heard in Starbucks, we all kind of just raised our eyes and like, it's, it's a little embarrassing to be sitting with all the priests and a bishop and you hear music that rap songs and things that just do not belong in the ears of a Christian man. And we almost like feel like it's inevitable. We can't get away from it. But if, if we're always going to compromise every time the gossip comes across our ears and the music comes across our ears, then we'll never really have a stand and, and a firm resolve to run away from it. But it's got to start with our, with our personal lives, that we run away from it in our cars, in our homes. Because if you're not turning off the gossip in your own circles, if you're not turning off the bad music in your own homes, in your own cars then how do you expect to avoid it whenever it's bombarding you throughout your walk through the stores or whatever? Now, what's the real purpose of running away? It's important for us to run away in order to protect ourselves from whatever is harmful, right? But I got to tell you, that's not the real purpose. Whenever you wake up in the morning and you see a, a cup out on the counter that's, you know, full of something that you drank yesterday and you want to fill it up with some coffee, you might dump out the water or whatever that was in that cup. You clean it. But the purpose is not just to have an empty cup, right? Whenever you dump out whatever's in the cup, the purpose is for you to fill it with coffee. You want that drink that you're waking up. And, and trust me, like right about now, like half of you are thinking about coffee. But... The purpose in the morning for you to dump out whatever is in that cup not, is not just to have an empty cup, right? We don't run away from uh, TV because TV is evil. You know, some shows are purely evil. <laughs> but there are some good shows. You know, we don't run away from music or we don't run away from all the social events, because social events are evil, but at some point I have to be alone with God, right? So there are, there are many good things in my life that, you know, there, there are no problems with the social events and the gatherings, there's no problems with watching TV, there's no problem with social media, social media is not evil. But at some point, I gotta separate myself from that in order to do what? Hold on to Christ. St. John Climacus says, For exile is separation from everything in order to keep the mind inseparable from God. 
So when I separate from whatever is distracting me, the purpose is to keep my mind attached to God. The two go hand in hand. I flee from the evil in order to cling to the good. I got to hold on to God. Think, think about why almost everybody here is either the first or second generation Egyptians, right? All the Copts. Think about why you came to America. You left everything in Egypt. You left your work, your family. You left all the memories that you have there. You left so much of your life. You ran away. But is it because Egypt is evil? Absolutely not. You left that because you saw something better. You saw a future for your family, for your kids. You saw that here's a land of freedom where you can get a better education, where you can grow, you can be fruitful, you can multiply. That's the purpose. So when I'm telling you, you got to flee from the things that are distracting you in your life. I'm not telling you social media is evil. I'm not telling you watching sports is evil. I'm not telling you that shopping is evil. All these things are fine. But what's better? Spending my time on this and this and this, or holding on to Christ. Spending my time serving, spending my time reading, spending my time praying, spending my time helping people that are in need. That's the real purpose. Going back to St. Arsenius. Once he obeyed that voice, and he reached Alexandria, after, after he heard that voice telling him to flee, and he reached Alexandria, he said, he prayed the same prayer, and heard the Lord respond, Arsenius, flee, be silent, pray always, for these are the sources of sinlessness. So, after he obeyed the first commandment to flee, he actually ran away, and he went to the desert of Alexandria. Now that he's there, he asks, well, lead me to the way of salvation. And he says, now that you have fled, pursue silence and prayer. Hold on to prayer. The purpose of fleeing, the purpose of having solitude, is so that we can be alone with Christ. Remember, while Mary and Martha were sitting with Christ, even something as good as service, which Martha was doing, was nonsense. Even something as good as service, it was nonsense. Because it was service that was distracted. So Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha is offended that Mary is doing nothing but just listening to God. It's literally like somebody is praying or reading the Bible the whole day, and people are offended that they're not going out to run meetings and serve and have social events to raise money for the welfare of the world. So Martha's offended, and Jesus tells her, what are you upset about? One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. So put the pot down, Put the pan down. Forget about whatever you're cooking. Come and listen to what I have to say too. 
that's the purpose, is for us to hold on to Christ. Look, that doesn't mean that we have to be like St. Arsenius and literally flee from our lives, leave our work, leave our families, and be like monks. That's not what I'm saying. There's a physical running away, which is necessary sometimes, but there's also a spiritual type of fleeing. There's, there's a spiritual concept in which I turn away my attention from the world to my attention to God. Spiritually speaking, that's the heart of the matter. Sometimes it is necessary for me to physically detach myself from certain areas. Right? Whenever there's just groups at work, you walk into the lunchroom and everybody's gossiping, okay, physically remove yourself. Right? But, that's not always the case. Sometimes, it's just thoughts that I have to run away from. Sometimes there are compliments that come across my way and feed my ego with pride. And if I don't run away from that honor and that praise and what, whatever feeds my ego, how will I hold on to Christ with humility? St. Mark the Ascetic says, guard your mind from self-praise and flee from a high opinion of yourself so that God does not allow you to fall. For man does not accomplish virtue alone, but with the help of God who sees all. So again, guard your mind from self-praise and flee from a high opinion of yourself. The greatest thing we can actually run away from are the things that feed our pride. The greatest things that we can run away from are the things that feed our pride. So often, we seek validation. So often, we seek praise. And it's a natural part of our humanity that we, we want to have confidence and we want to feel valued, which is fine. But there's a difference between having confidence and having pride. And so much of our desires shifts towards that, that need to feed our pride. That we want to hear something good about ourselves. That we want to hear certain compliments. And after we do something like, like hey, wasn't it good? Or I'm thinking like, who's going to talk to me about how I did about this or that? And it's always so subtle. We don't really realize that deep down inside, we are seeking something to feed our pride. The saints never lived like this. And one saint that comes to mind is Saint Pope Krolos. At his departure, they went into his room and they were collecting some of the letters that he had kept. And of course, as a patriarch, he had countless letters written to him. So many letters that, you know, he couldn't keep them all. Right? Some good, some bad, some about the organization of the church, some personally about him, all types of letters. You know what kind of letters that they found 
in his room, the only letters that he kept, the letters that criticized him. The negative things that people had to say about him. And trust me, as a patriarch, people praise you, people say good things about you, people thank you for doing this or that. You know, he didn't get a lot of gratitude at the beginning of his life, but at the end of his life, people started to realize that he was a good man. And so he had some compliments come his way. He didn't keep a single one. Why? Because he didn't need to flatter himself. He wanted to run away from the flatter. He wanted to run away from the praise, from the vain glory. This is the mind of a saint. We run. We got to run away from sin. We got to run away from temptations. We got to run away from anything that feeds our egos. St. John Climacus says, Nothing can ever so humble the soul as a state of destitution and a beggar's subsistence. Nothing can ever so humble a soul than, than to have a state of destitution. That means to have a state of poverty. The state that you would find in a beggar. Nothing can give you humility more than that. To be so emptied that you're not seeking to be filled with all of these compliments and the praise and all the vain glory of the world. He continues to say, We only prove to be wise and lovers of God when having the possibility of exaltation, we flee from it irrevocably. We prove to be wise. We prove to be true lovers of God. Whenever we see vainglory, whenever we see something that will exalt us, something that will flatter us, and we say, no thanks, I'm nothing. I don't, I don't need to hear those lies. Everything you can say that's good about me is from God Himself. And that was, that was not even the mindset of the saints, but the mindset of God Himself. God who is to be praised, who is to be glorified. From the first days of His life on earth, we see Him running away. We see the Holy Family running away from the places of sin and running away from corruption. Even whenever they went to crown Him as a king. We read this in the Gospel of the Veil. In the beginning of John 6, verse 15, When Jesus therefore perceived that they had come and that they would take Him by force to make Him a king, He departed again into a mountain by Himself alone. He is the King of kings. Who is to be glorified more than Christ? He said, I don't need the praise of an earthly kingdom. And he ran away. He saw that others would come and flatter him. But they didn't understand his mission. He said, I don't need the flattery. God himself, the king of kings, I don't need that. And he ran away. He went alone to pray. I hope we can follow in the footsteps of the Holy Family, the, the footsteps of Christ Himself, the footsteps of all the saints. We run away from sin, and not just the wickedness, but the distractions. We run away from anything that's separating us from God, whether they're just thoughts, or gossip, or music, or whatever, that's preventing us from holding on to Christ a little tighter. 
and that we would fuel our minds with the words of God, the words of the scriptures, prayers, things that could elevate our souls unto God is do all glory forever and ever. Amen.